Okay, hi everyone. Thanks for joining me on Creative Connections. I'm Adam Deer, and joining me today is television reporter Anjali Rao. Anjali, how you doing? I am very well, thank you, Adam. How are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. Uh, how is all the school holidays going? Are you getting through it? Uh, managing just about. Um, I've had my little boy with me for the last week, and he's off with his dad now. So. It's just me all by my lonesome, remembering how to have alone time. Uh, and so, as I said, yeah, you're a television reporter, among many other things. I wanted to start off with asking you, what's the weirdest story you've reported on which turned out to be true? So, that is an interesting question. So, um, I've actually been um, more an anchor um, as opposed to an in-the-field reporter that I've done I've done most of it, but I'm sort of, I've known, I'm known much more for anchoring. But um, so I guess the first one that would come to mind was for me was um, reporting on 9-11 when it was um, the first wires that came out. That's like um, the first sort of little information snippets that you get. Mm. Um, and that it was a light plane crash with no passengers on board. So there was, there was that one, which of course, you know, turned out to be tragically mistaken. Um, then there was a death of Michael Jackson was also a, a big one because that sort of came across. It was, it was rumored for a long time before it was actually proven to be true. And I did breaking news on that for, I didn't even know how many hours. Um, but, you know, there have also been times when I've reported on something that appeared on the surface to be cut and dried and then turned out to be something completely polar opposite. Um, and I think the one that really stands out for me was I had just landed back in um, Hong Kong where I was based um, for CNN. I had two shows, my, my um, daily news show and my weekly um, celebrity chat show. And they were both, they were both global. Yeah. Um, but I'd just gotten back from India, woke up, get a phone call um, from my producer saying, Rao, I hope you haven't unpacked you're going to Manila. So um, what happened was there was, it was breaking news on every channel around the world. Um, It was a guy who had strapped himself himself with explosives and was, um, had hijacked a bus full of children in in Manila outside City Hall. And so this was, you know, the most hated man on the planet at at the time. And um, so, you know, I, I turn up in Manila, like anywhere else in the world, you'd be a million miles away. Not mm. in Manila. I was like, you know, right up against the bus. And there's these little children holding up notes and things like that. And this guy pacing backwards and forwards, strapped with explosives and holding grenades and um, like, you know, AK-47s and stuff like that. He was absolutely sort of armed to the gills. And it was just absolutely awful. Nobody knew what he was demanding, but he was just holding these children hostage. It was, it was really awful and very, very um, scary at the time because nobody knew what he was going to do. Yeah. Um, and after few hours of this, you know, doing just like live after live after live after live, like breaking news all over the place. Um, he let the kids go inexplicably um, when, it, when, it was, um, when it was nighttime and it was, oh my God, what's happening? Um, so they took, all the kids went off to hospital to check they were okay. Um, and while I was at the hospital with, I don't even know how many other reporters and anchors and news crews, um, I got a tap on my shoulder and it was some stranger that had recognized me and said, shh, Angeli Rao, come with me, bring your crew. 
don't tell anybody. So we left the media scrum and went downstairs and it turned out that the kidnapper was there. He was this elderly kind of guy. And um, so he, he'd been taken there before he was, you know, to be thrown in jail for, you know, the rest of his days, presumably. And so he was let out and we had an exclusive interview with him. Um, and it turned out that he, that all the kids came from a slum Mm-hmm. that I went to the next day, which is the worst place I've ever seen in my life. It was absolutely horrendous. I've been to plenty of slums and that was just the worst. Mm. Um, and he owned the school where, where all these kids were. And his only demand was that the government would promise to educate these kids all the way through to the end of uni, because otherwise they'd be, you know, on the streets from the age of about 11. So, oh, wow. And the, gar- the government guaranteed that. They threw him in prison. Um, I think he's probably still there. But um, but these kids and their families absolutely worshipped this man. He mm. was like, he went from the, seriously the most hated man in the world to like a, a saint. Um, and when I went to the slum the next day and I saw what he had rescued these children from, it completely turned it on its head. And that's something as a journalist, you just go, oh my, because as a journalist, you're supposed to be, well, you always used yeah, to be like impartial. Yeah. Yes. Um, but we're still human beings as well. And sometimes you go, God, I did make an assumption. You know, yeah. everybody else about this man, but, but he was an absolute saint. Um, and the kids and their families were like, yeah, we knew he would never hurt us. Um, and it turned out that all of the, the bombs and the, um, you know, the grenades and everything, that he bought them all at like Toys R Us or something. Yeah, right. They weren't in- well maybe that's why it's folded um but <laughs> yeah so that was that was a pretty um amazing amazing story yeah wow that'd be really interesting to follow up on some of those kids on what how their lives have turned out absolutely i just hope that the government um kept to their word because they're not really known for it in the philippines must be said it was the the person that led you to get this exclusive, did they, have they just seen you on TV before? Yeah, so um, there are certain parts of the world where everybody watches CNN and there are certain parts of the world where nobody watches CNN, like Australia. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, yeah, they knew exactly who I was. Right. Um, and so that's why they sort of, you know, tapped me as opposed to anybody else. But, of course, as soon as we went down there and the other news crews saw the lights go on, they all came running down, but by then it was too late. It's like, ha, ha, suffer. you've interviewed you know, some massive names, you know, Kobe Bryant, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Slash, Rihanna. You've scored a point against Roger Federer. How do you <laughs> stop yourself from fangirling in those moments? I did score a point against Roger Federer. Some people <laughs> think let me, but I dispute that. It was all um, skill. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That day was actually incredibly surreal because um, what you don't see in that clip is that cheering me on from the sidelines was Pete Sampras going, come on, Angela, you've got this. You can take him. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, so I think that you're either born a fangirl or you're not. And if you are, you won't last long amongst famous types because they will have you for supper. And also it must be just dreadfully boring to hear somebody else go, oh my God, you're so amazing. You're so great. I'm such a big fan. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me something I don't know. Yeah, like Um, everyone's kissing their ass anyway. Exactly, exactly. So 
You know, I, I've, I've always, always loved celebrity though. And, you know, my parents used to constantly just, um, you know, say to me when I was a teenager and I was totally obsessed with like River Phoenix and, you know, Johnny Depp, people like that. And you're probably too young to even know who River Phoenix was. But um, <laughs> I don't know. So I know. They used to say to me, why can you not just enjoy a person for, you know, the art that they create? Why do you have to know every single thing about them? But I kind of can't help it. But when the information goes into my head about a celebrity, it stays there. Um, so I used to spend days and sometimes weeks researching a guest. So that by the time I met them on my show, they actually were a normal person. It was just that everybody right. knew their name. Um, so doing you know, all that research kind of eliminated the mystery. Absolutely. And, you know, the things that you, I, I would always sort of go down the rabbit hole of research. Um, and when you find out certain things, it's like you really are just a regular person. And, um, you know, and, and they really, celebrities really appreciate that, that you have gone to, so much effort to find out who they are as people. Like we know what you do for a living. Who are you as a person? Um, and but you know when I was on um, CNN and I had my talk show there, there were 220 million homes across the world watching. So the people that I was interviewing often thought that I was the famous one, which was um, <laughs> entertaining. Um, <laughs> but there were a few times that my heart was in my throat coming face to face with a celebrity. Um, you know, Are you going to say which one? Oh, yeah. I mean, God, it's a pretty hard one, you know, when the Dalai Lama decides to spend the day with you that you can't be impressed. Um, yeah. He was amazing. Um, but the one that got my heart absolutely racing, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, was Slash. Right, yeah, Guns N' Roses. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm... You know, don't let the accent fool you. I'm actually a total headbanging rock pig. Um, <laughs> and so Slash, but when they look exactly the way that, you know, their sort of stage persona depicts, so, you know, he's there with like the mirrored sunglasses and all the hair and the hat. And it's just like, oh my God, oh my God, this is real. Um, that was something really, really special. Um, also, Karl Lagerfeld was like that as well because he's, sorry, was RIP, um, a very intimidating human being. But God, we got on. We loved each other. You know, Slash and I, even though we, Slash and I had an argument, um, which was not, not fun at all. Um, but, but yeah, Karl Lagerfeld also was just like, it, we just got on really, really well. So, um, yeah, yeah. So it's when your heart starts racing and you go, come on, calm down. You're a professional. Don't yeah, forget yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, as you said, with Slash, with that disagreement, have there been, and overall you got along, but have there been some interviews that have just been such hard work? God, yes. You know, you don't, it's like you don't love every human being and not every human being loves you just in normal yeah. life. You know, TV is no different. And so, yeah, I've had some, some absolute corkers. Um, oh, God, I had an, oh, this is horrible, an <laughs> argument with, um, with Kevin Spacey. Oh, right. Was, oh, <laughs> what was the <laughs> argument about? It was, I was, 
he's one of those guys, and Slash was also the same as this, where you, you get on fine off camera and sometimes like really well, like, you know, Slash and I got on famously off camera. But as soon as the red light goes on, all of a sudden you're the evil journalist sent there right. to skewer them. So with Kevin Spacey, it was, uh, as soon as the red light went on, it's like, he did not want to discuss anything to do with movies. It's like, this is a half hour talk show, mate. What do you think we're going to be discussing? <laughs> and he's generally quite very private. Um, uh, yes, in his interviews, yes that's true. But, you know, if you're going to be that private, don't be on a talk show. Yeah. Um, so we were, um, all he wanted to talk about was like, you know, his life in the theatre. Like, no one cares, Kevin. Um, <laughs> um, I was asking him a question. You know, my show is all about, like I said, sort of, we know what you do for a living. We just don't know who you are as a person, what makes you tick, what's, um, you know, how you became so successful, the, the sort of components of your character that make you who you are as a professional. Um, so, yeah, you're going to have to talk about your childhood and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And you are going to have to discuss the Oscars you won. Um, and he thought that I was asking him a question, which I really, really wasn't, and I never would. He thought, in, in the middle of me asking him a question, he thought I was asking him whether he was gay. Right. Uh, like I care. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, what he did was so Oh, it was horrible at the time. Um, he sort of stopped me in the middle of the question and he said, um, let me stop you there. Um, in the words of Morgan Freeman, the words Morgan and Freeman had not been mentioned at any time. <laughs> yeah. Morgan Freeman, my darling, I'm surprised that a journalist of your caliber would ask such a trivial question. I thought I was going to throw <laughs> up. This but is a bit then, pretentious, yeah. Oh, God, it was so awful. And just, uh, I mean, my whole crew was looking at me like, oh, no. <laughs> but I still had half the interview left. Yeah, so, right. But I wasn't asking him that question anyway. It was like, why would I ask that? Who would ask that? Um, and I still had to rescue the rest of the interview. Um, thank God, earlier that day, before we'd left, I happened to watch a, like in the spirit of my down the rabbit hole research, happened to find a video of him on YouTube um, in the actor's studio um, where the, the guy who's the, um, the interviewer was like, you know, nobody knows that you do these amazing, there's nobody that you can't do an impression of. And it, he's absolutely nailing these impressions. And because he'd just done one, I happened to be able to just pick up that thread and go, right, not what I was asking. Um, also, hey, that brings us on to uh, your impressions, you know? Yeah, yeah. Go. Good idea. Yeah, he does. He loves doing Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but he still, he came back to that point at several times during the interview. He's like, oh, well, that's not going to do my gay image any favors. And I leant I Just forward. let it go, man. I know. I leant forward. I was angry and I was like, Kevin, I don't care. But his people still made me go to his trailer afterwards and apologize for something I didn't even ask. That was horrible. That Ugh. was horrible. Sounds horrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, imagine my surprise when <laughs> those years later he comes out anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
life. And I wanted to just touch on uh, voices for a second, not, you know, if you hear them, but news anchors have like a distinct kind of voice. How did you find yours? Did you, were you, did you practice at home? Did it just happen or? I think I've always spoken like this. I think mm. I spoke like a news anchor when I was a baby. Um, um, so I know that there are courses that some people take um, in order to to do that to have the sort of news anchor voice but I think I've always been (laughs) news anchor yeah right (laughs) no it's just always been there you're just born with it perfect yeah yeah just born with it (laughs) brown eyes brown hair and a news anchor voice those are the things I was born with Uh, and as you said, you've worked on uh, CNN. You've also been on SBS and Channel 10, among others. Are there big cultural differences with networks, uh, I suppose, particularly between countries? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, CNN was all American. Um, it, Sky News in the UK, which is totally different to Sky News here, was, you know, very British. Channel 10 is very Aussie. And SBS is very, you know, multi-ethnic. Um, so, yeah, there, there are, but it's much more in terms of the approach of the network, I think. So, for example, what I've noticed is there's much more of a difference between um, 24-hour news networks like CNN and Sky versus your general TV networks that have a news show. Mm. That has been, has been the biggest difference because, you know, when you're doing breaking news, all the time on a 24-hour network versus a news show where you've got plenty of time to prepare. You know, you've got some pre-records in there. It might be entirely pre-recorded. And it's it's basically the differences between the massive stress levels Mm. and um, people's temperaments, sort of what's acceptable at one network is absolutely not another. Like, um, for example, Sky... Before I, um, the day before I anchored on Sky, and I was there for a year and a half before I got poached by CNN, I was meeting with a great friend of mine who was the head of BBC World at the time. And he said, you know, Angelie, if you can survive Sky News UK uh, and not get fired, you can do anything in this industry anywhere in the world. I was like, what? What do you <laughs> and mean? you're just thinking, uh, why? What's going to happen? Oh, my God. It's like, you know I'm starting tomorrow, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> um, and it's, it's true. It really was the most, the craziest, most intense pressure I've ever witnessed in my entire life. Um, so there, was that and, just uh, like a, a collective view or was that a particular oh, yeah. person? Or No, 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 no. It's absolutely true. It's well known. So, you know, you have sort of people bursting into tears. You know, I did several times, but not on camera. Um, mm. You know, sometimes I'd walk to the loo and there'd be, you know, very well-known anchors throwing up from stress. Um, it was just absolutely full on. The screaming was just unbelievable. Um, and everybody had a permanent case of Tourette's syndrome. Um, whereas, you know, you go to CNN and it's very American and, oh my God, it's like not sweary at all. Um, you had to, we used to have to sit through these like two day long seminars called playing to win that basically teaches <laughs> you how not, how not to swear at your colleagues. Um, and so that those were the sort of the, the biggest differences that I felt that it was less about sort of 
you know, ethnicities and, and, and that sort of thing, and much more about what is acceptable in certain places and what isn't. Yeah, so they're almost like polar opposites in a way. Do, do you think that it's, it's necessary the way that Sky was doing things was that's needed to make it work? It's just a suck-it-up princess environment, mm. and it's where I learned pretty much everything that you know it's like if you know my bbc world friend was was right if you can survive that in this industry you can survive anything um and it certainly it certainly helped me sort of you know be a lot more resilient to get actually i can handle this um it taught me a lot because you know sometimes in, in tv you can be a bit sort of molly coddled and cosseted especially when you're considered in inverted commas the talent you know, mm. oh, there, there, darling, oh, we'll fix it. It's like, nah, you just get through it. You get through it because it's, it's so stressful and so intense. You don't have a choice. You're, you have a choice. That's to quit or stand there and get fired. Um, so, you know, they throw you in at the deep end and you float or you sink. Um, and that taught me pretty much everything about surviving in this industry. And so your move to CNN was CNN approached you? They certainly did. Um, and so I had to go through, um, an audition process and I think there are quite a few of us. What's a news anchor audition process like? Oh, I mean, oh Oh, wow. It's, um, (laughs) essentially what they do is they'll sit you on the, on the set and then they just want to see, so you read off a prompter for, oh, I don't know, however long they fancy making you read off a prompter, um, just to see that you can read off a prompter, but you know that they're going to pull a Swifty. You just, you just don't know when it's going to happen. Right. So what is, is so breaking news, breaking news that I've done in this country is completely different to when you're on a news network. Um, it's half the time, like pretty much all the time, it's written for you. We've got something in there. When you're on a 24 hour news network, everything vanishes off the prompter, except for one word, blank. Like, you don't think I can see that it's blank? Um, (laughs) they need to put that word in there yeah (laughs) so it's like you know you've been reading off the prompter going come on come on what do you got for me how bad are you going to make this and what they did for me for my CNN audition was um the prompter went dead um except for blank you get it um I got um voice in my ear from the producer saying um okay Anjali um there's been a blast at um the Gare du Nord which is the, the main um train station in Paris, um, go. That's all you've got. And anchoring 101 means if you say, you can say blast or explosion, but you can't use the word bomb because you don't know. And if you use the word bomb, that's it. You're out, dead, end of uh, job interview. Right. Um, But because I'd been on Sky for a year and a half by that time, I was having the time of my life. So they kept it going. I've seen many other anchors um, do those auditions and they'll make them do breaking for, oh, between two and five minutes. They had me do it for 40 minutes. And so it was like, okay, um, all right. So, you know, talking about sort of, you know, what you know about that train station and the time of day and how busy it might've been, et cetera, et cetera. Cause you're just waiting for the next thing that they tell you a bit of information. Ah, so yeah, you're just kind of filling the space until they give you more information. Yeah. Exactly. And there are certain tricks that you use if you run out of information 
because they can just draw out for as long as, as they want. Um, and then you'll just go sort of, if you run out of everything, but the human mind is amazing. You don't know what you, what your mind has picked up and it just comes out when you're under pressure. Mm. Um, and so you'll go, okay, if you're just joining us, here's what's happening. So you just repeat everything that you've just said. Um, and they say, all right, and, um, just, uh, news just in, um, explosion at the Sydney opera house. And so they had me string these, but you can't connect them. You can just say, blah, 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 blah. This is what we're just getting in. Also, they're just joining us. Our other piece of breaking news this hour is that there's been an explosion at the Gare du Nord, blah, 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 waiting for confirmation. And then they said that there was um, another one. I think it was at Heathrow. So I had to do breaking news on three things at the same time. Yeah, right. Um, and they sort of, you know, have a fake reporter get on so that, you know, when they give you their information, you use that information to, to pad out the next thing that right. you say. So it just went on and on and on, on like that, you know, it's like, and then they got to the end of 40 minutes and they said, okay, um, you know, we've had a claim of responsibility from Al Qaeda, go. And so then you can string all of them together. And then they say, okay, right. And now take us to break. Yeah. Oh, wow. And it's intense. That's, that's your 40 minutes, 40 minutes. I've never seen another anchor do 40 minutes of breaking news. <laughs> did they but, tell you why it was so long or did you ask or was it just. Tell that I was really enjoying it and that, and then it was oh, right. just so the uh, the whole of the CNN everyone had actually already left. You were just there, <laughs> right? So they all stood up and clapped for me. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah, and then I and then got the gig. Jeez, that sounds like I've had I've had my fair share of auditions, but nothing like that. That sounds that's <laughs> very high pressure. Uh, yeah, and, and I, the thing that can teach you how to do it. It's like you can or you can't. And if somebody had ever told me this is what you will do and do really well at, I would have gone, some sweary words would have come out for sure. Yeah. Blank, blank, blank. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Blanking blank. Yeah. Just sort of shifting gears in a sense, I thought it would be interesting to chat about uh, women in the industry who want to have children and also have a career because I think there's Mm. a kind of interesting compromise that's, that's worth chatting about. Uh, yeah. So, Angela, you have a son yourself. Was I having do. a child at that point in your career like a particularly difficult decision or was it a pretty easy one? No. So he was very difficult to come by. Um, it took me three and a half years to even get pregnant. And that was that was probably the most, the most stressful part, you know, mm. sort of, um, you know, injecting yourself in the stomach every day to sort of you know, make this happen. And then, you know, going to the office and doing sort of really um, sort of high pressure work. And, and then, you know, when, you know, you try and you fail and you try and you fail and you try and you fail and you still have to put your best face on and, um, you know, sort of appear to the world sort of thing. That, yeah. that was difficult. Um, and I'm sure there are so many people, um, you know, so many women in my, in my position that, that would be going through that. Cause it's like, you know, when you're, head goes all right body I'm ready to have a child now and your body goes nah that that process is so painful um and you've just got to keep it together um then of course you know if if you're lucky enough to to have a child the difficult thing for me sort of you know when I was um pregnant and still going to do my gig was that you know 
I could no more remember, you know, my middle name than I could fly to the moon. I had the most awful case of pregnesia. Right. Um, <laughs> but, oh my God. You know, there'd be breaking news about a bomb blast in Bakuba and I'd be like, Oh God, I can't remember anything. I can't remember where I live. <laughs> but it, the only way that I think that you can do it is by having, you know, a really strong support network around you because, you know, if you're doing something like in, you know, in the TV industry, like anchoring, it's like you've got the stress, you've got the travel internationally all the time and, you know, the hours. Um, sometimes if you're doing breaking, you can be talking about the same thing for, you know, days, weeks, months even, and you don't know when you're going to be let off the desk. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got up at 2.45 every morning for eight years, you know, arriving at the office at four o'clock in the morning. I wouldn't be able to do that without a lot of help. Um, and I'm, I'm very fortunate in that, you know, I was born in and had 35 years in Hong Kong where part of normal Asian culture is, um, you know, live in domestic helpers. Yes. I was, I was, you know, partially raised, um, by them and I, I still love them as my family. Um, and you know, so that's, that's what I had when my little boy, um, was born. So it's like, you don't have to say when you're coming home or even if you are, um, but since moving to Australia, I've honestly just marveled at how single working parents do it all. I just don't get it. You know, it's like they're those circus performers that used to spin plates on sticks, just trying to stop the plates from smashing to the floor. And it's just such, such an incredible thing to see, but I just don't understand how, how you do it. So that's, that's one part of it. But also, um, you know, TV is, one of the most competitive industries in the world. And as a woman, you're just really scared because you know that there's always going to be one, two, three, 50 people waiting in the wings yes. to, you know, to take your gig. Um, you know, if you go off for maternity leave and that is, even though it's like, Oh, well, you know, it's illegal. You can't do that. It happens all the time. So it's a very pertinent fear for so many women that, if you do do that, you know, go off and have a baby and, you know, um, won't spend a decent amount of time raising your child, that your job is on the line. So it's absolutely a compromise. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking because, I mean, if you take 12 months out of just about any industry, it's mm. going to be quite difficult to get that momentum back. Oh God. I took six weeks. Mm. That's it. Six weeks. And then, you know, Pumping the boobs in the makeup room. Yeah. That's, as you that's do. what you have to do because, <laughs> you know, otherwise it's just, it's just too risky, um, you know, to get to, to be an anchor on CNN, which is, you know, still one of the, the you know, biggest and greatest, I think, news networks in the world. You don't just get there by, you know, sitting on your ass. It's like you've worked damn hard to get there and, to, for it to just all, you know, disappear or whatever network you're at. It's like, whether it's um, sort of realistic or not kind of doesn't come into it. You, you don't sit there and go, oh, well, it's illegal. You know, they can't do that. Mm. Well, it doesn't mean that you don't have that terror that it could happen. Yeah, I could kind of imagine that there's that in the back of your mind, maybe thinking I'll have maybe one or two kids, but push it quite a bit later. Mm, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, women are doing that, you know, increasingly more to sort of shore up their professional lives before they do that. Cause like, Oh, well, you know, the more secure that you can be 
in whatever it is you're doing, the less likely you think that it is that, you know, you're going to get the arse because you go off and have a family. But, you know, I, I was only able to have one child, but with multiple, good Lord, I just don't know how, um, how, how much more difficult that would be. Yeah. Because it feels like there's almost, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know we're talking about this quite a bit, but I just find it interesting in that I could also see this, this pressure from both sides because there's, you know, people saying, you know, you shouldn't be necessarily just going for a career. Like, don't you want to be a mom? And then there's, then there's mm. the other side saying, you know, you should go for your career and you know, you're your own person, like you be successful, rah, mm-hmm. rah, rah. So I could see yeah. it's very much a pulling in multiple directions. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, in the whole sort of concept of, you know, as women in 2020, we can have it all. Uh, I don't think you can. I mean, certainly not in isolation. You can't, you know, be an island and have it all. Yeah. You, you do have, you know, good people around you to, to help out. Um, you know, I certainly hope that I've been able to do that for, for my friends who have been in similar positions um, as they certainly have been um, for me. But um, yeah, I, I am fortunate. I know that so many people do it just, you know, so much harder. More recently, uh, a bit more of a lighter note, uh, Angela, you landed a spot on Real Housewives of Melbourne. How <laughs> does that conversation even begin? Uh, oh, God, I still can't really get my head around it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It when I was just looking uh, into you, I was like, okay, what is she up to? Was a Real Housewives of Melbourne. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I, I thought that the most reality TV that my career would get would be doing the news, but <laughs> apparently it's not. <laughs> um, so it, it, it certainly wasn't anything that ever would have occurred to me. Um, I was at a girl's lunch just before Christmas and I didn't know anybody there except the lady who'd invited me. But I'm great like that. I, you know, I, I kind of really enjoy that because you just walk in and you're a blank canvas. Um, and so, you know, you have like sort of two minute conversations with people just around the room, just like saying, hey, how are you? Who are you? Sort of thing. Um, and, and that was that. And then um, the next day, I got a phone call from one of the women. Um, so I, you, I hope you don't mind, but I got your number off um, the, the girl who'd invited us. And I just thought, oh, God, which one were you? And she said, listen, um, I met you yesterday and I just heard some of the things that you were saying. And, you know, I'm the executive producer of Real Housewives of Melbourne. And I went, oh, nothing good is going to happen here. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, look, you know, um, We've been off air for a couple of years, but they're coming back and the cast has been approved um, by Foxtel. But I really, really want you as one of the housewives. And I was like, I am nothing like those people. And she said, that's the point. We have never had a housewife like you before. And so I said, oh, oh my God, all right, look, I'm going to need a couple of days to think about it. And she said, yeah, fine. Um, don't take too long because I'm going to really, really piss off the network by trying to shoehorn somebody else in when everybody else has been approved for ages. But I would do it for you. I was like, oh God. So by the time we talked a couple of days later, I was like, yeah, I think I'm out. And I thought, right. yeah, don't, don't worry about it. That's like, you know, a line around the block. But she didn't. 
Um, she just would not let me off. And, you know, my dad, um, who was Indian, um, he, he died when I was almost five years old. And I still speak to him out loud every day. I would never dream of going on TV ever doing any show without speaking to my dad first. Mm. And when he was, when he was alive, see, he, he had a saying, he had, he had lots of, you know, those really sort of good Hindu sayings. Um, and one of the things that he used to say was opportunity always looks much bigger going than coming. And I felt like I could hear his voice in my head saying that. And it was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. Um, it's not like any TV I've ever done in my life, but I think I've got a lot to bring to the show and they certainly do. Uh, and then, you know, Foxtel went, all right then. <laughs> um, and, so, and so, you know, it's, it's all happening and I'm actually really excited about it. And I've always taken steps in my life, particularly professionally. Oh God, and personally too, I did get divorced. Um, where I, I enjoy doing things that scare me. Um, and so, you know, my mum and my stepdad are always like, oh, Angie, you know, you must operate on, you know, it's the first rule of wing walking. Like there's like 1920s guys who used to walk on planes on the wing as it was oh, flying. Right. You'd never take one step without, without having it solidly beneath you. Um, and they've always said that. And I said, parents, if I lived like that, I'd still be writing for the Hong Kong Shipping Gazette. <laughs> yeah. um, And I just, I don't, I'm I'm a real risk taker and it seems to have worked fairly well for me now. So, you know, why not do it again? Yeah, cool. I mean, you don't regret taking that chance with the shipping gazette. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, those were the days. (laughs) Uh, And so as our chat comes to a close, I wondered if you could have a think, you know, if you could give, you know, go back and give your 18 year old self some advice. Hmm. What might that be? It would be don't go out with this person, that person, or that person ever. <laughs> Three. Never right. let them within a 20 mile radius of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, all, they were all guys who worked at the shipping gazette. <laughs> Probably still do <laughs> 25 years later. Um, oh, God. I probably have said to myself, don't resign from CNN so quickly. I'd have said, you have no idea how difficult it will be for you to become a mother. But once you do, it'll be the greatest thing you've ever done and you will not regret any of it. And then I'd probably tell myself to stop being so damn hard on myself and that I'll turn out just fine. Because I used to worry about that quite a lot. I was, I was not a nice teenager. Of course, I'm delightful now. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, that sounds like great advice. You are delightful now. Oh, thank you. As are you. Thank you. Well, uh, Angeli Rao, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really enjoyed it. You are very welcome, Adam dear. That's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure you like and follow Adam Deer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And join me next week on Creative Connections.